Nine minutes it is before 8 p.m. It's the wrap of the top business stories where we take a look at uh, all of the latest developments in the world of money and power. And uh, this evening is certainly no different. Nolwajlam Tombeni, market analyst, is my guest. And, uh, yeah, we kick things off at the Zondo Commission where the president uh, was um, appearing as the president of the African National Congress and a lot of things touched on, in particular deployment committees uh, who effectively determine the personnel uh, in strategic decision-making roles uh, within government and in many of the SOEs. And uh, yeah, Nolwandle, good evening to you and welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm Wonga. Dipili I'm good, thanks. Yeah, what do you make of uh, the showing by the president? And I guess some of his explanations of, um, in instances uh, where deployments have gone wrong, some of his explanations on what potentially could be done. Um, well, I think... You know, the question is asked basically is, you know, how is ANC going about deploying their committee? I mean, de- making the pl- deployment of, you know, cadres into, into office, an office bearage, bear, um, office, well, an offices and holders and bearers of office. Mm. And, 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 you know, where there's been missteps, you know, how have they rectified it? And I think, I can only imagine that what else is he going to say besides, you know, you know, we do have systems in place and procedures, and they're not that great, but we're improving on it. And that's basically what he kind of said in, in his response, and that, you know, there is a process, and, you know, it's also very normal for um, parties to elect and put cadres into deployment. Mm. Um, it's not and it's, it's not really the problem there. The problem is that, that the individuals that are being deployed turn out to um, be involved in, you know, a whole lot of things. Mm. And, and, and it's not that there's a shortage of talent either. I mean, I mean mm. the issue is that there are people who, in some cases, and I think there were a few examples mentioned, some cases where there were qualified people who, in some instances, were members of the ANC, and yet some of those people weren't chosen because of some of the factional uh, battles and the factional divisions in the organization. Yes. And I think it's the very nature of politics. You know, mm. you know I don't think it's unique to us where people who get chosen to positions because of you know certain relationships and all the politicking that goes on, so I think you know whether there was state capture or not, this would be you know and the norm to go. And even with other parties mm-hmm. as well, definitely not just ANC. If you look sure, at you know for sure. the example, also there, there will be exactly the same sort of thing going on there. Um, so I think you know, but they, the president does need to account for you know what is happening specifically to ANC, given that the level of corruption and state capture that has happened in light of them making these decisions um, needs to be brought to light and explained. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly going to be quite a complicated one, uh, um, you know, Nolwandle, because for me, I mean, I get the whole idea around the, depo- the deployment to departments, right? Um, and I guess that has implications because many of those departments are, you know, line departments for many of our SOEs and state agencies where some of the state capture has happened or where some of, uh, you know, a lot of this malfeasance has actually happened. And the key question is that, you know, is, is there a semblance of an accountability mechanism? So I deploy you tomorrow and you end up not doing what you were supposed to do there. Is there some mechanism for the committee to say, okay, no, thanks, man. Now, please, we are calling you. Please come back. See, the thing with that, right, you can't have two, two headmasters in a school. So if you are deployed in terms of a department, within the department, there should be measures in place there to assess your ability to do what you're doing. Um, 
you know, and it because then you know you've been deployed to the department who's you have been accountable to. So I think you know there needs to be a very clear distinction in terms of when you're in that role and your responsibilities and the adherence to it in terms of the framework of that department needs to be adhered to. And through that, there should be accountability mm. because ultimately, you know, that's where they get accounted, they have to be accountable to. So I think it's very hard to be, you know, in the party yeah. and now get involved with the departmental <laughs> things directly. Mm. I think it has to happen through those official channels. Yeah. And I guess even, you know, the difficulty even within the official channels is what, um, you know, economists often call an asymmetry in information. Um, mm. So, you know, I might sit in a portfolio committee and that's the formal channel or sit on, uh, well, on a board, probably there's a bigger expectation of like in-depth knowledge and specialization. But if I'm sitting, you know, in the ANC and we've deployed somebody to the Nuclear uh, Energy Corporation of South Africa, just there in Pelinda, in, um, no, not in Pelindaba, but just outside um, on your way to uh, the Northwest there. Now, the likelihood that I have very specific and detailed knowledge or even the Central Energy Fund in that space, uh, in the context of where we are, is, is probably slightly limited, Nolantle, would, would you not say? Yes, definitely. Um, and, you know, I think that's why we need to, you know, be realistic about the structures we have in place and the mm. effectiveness. And, you know, as far as if, you know, you have a cater who's who's been deployed and doesn't do well, I think also the fact that there are integrity commissions to say, you know, if it's not related to the actual work or in terms of deployment, if there's mm. any ethical violation, I think that is an, an opportunity for ANT to involved to, you know, because of the um, distribution may bring upon the party. Yeah. But when it comes to the actual governing of within government work um, and departmental committees, etc., I think, you know, those structures then need to be solidified for the government as a whole, you know, not just one party or one one portfolio, but the entire operations mm. of how to make all these committees and portfolio effective that people know exactly what they're doing, what's going on, and nothing falls through the cracks. Yeah, yeah. Now, talking, I guess, about politics, I, I, I would have certainly thought, and maybe I'm being naive here, Nolwandle, I would have thought that there was scope for a political solution in the impasse between AXA and Mango. And maybe what ended up being arrived at might be a combination of a down payment and that political solution. But in the sense, right, that AXA is a state-owned company, Mango, in effect, is also a state-owned company. In this case, they both report, you know, to uh, the Department of Public Enterprises. Uh, probably not the kind of situation that can be resolved by just a short-term solution if you don't fix some of the money issues as well. Yeah, and you know, just because they're, 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 they're siblings, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't yeah. mean that Mango yeah. can get away with it. Because you know what? Remember when SAA was subsidizing Mango and then they sued and then they got awarded mm, mm, some chunky, mm. chunky money. So you can't just stand under the rules just because it's your sibling. You need to actually do what is fair because then all the other airlines will say, look, they're not paying. Yeah. Why should we? So, so they mm, have to step in and do something and yeah. be fair and govern as they are required to do their mandate. And they have to suspend. And if, you know, they can, I am assuming that, you know, if there is scope in terms of legally for them to, you know, allow them to make a down payment, then, you know, I suppose that seems like what has happened. But they definitely had to take a hard stance mm. to be fair and impartial. You know, you know what my concern is here, Noland? 
is the lack of a sense of urgency. So, I mean, we started following the story on Monday um, and that was just before the public holiday yesterday. And there was a story then of some of the sort of people who lease, uh, you know, airplanes to Mango saying, if we don't get our money at the end of the month, effectively ground your operations until you can find the money to pay us. Now, all of this hinging on that 2.7 billion rand uh, of the 10.5 billion rand allocation from the National Treasury. But there's a bit of a legislative glip there because for the money to get to Air Chefs and SAA Technical, it has to go through a parliamentary appropriation. Um, and we know, I mean, that's not something you do in a two-day week or you can plan for, mm. you know, in a week. Um, and it seems everybody's spoken it except the lawmakers who actually have to pass a bill for this money to, to be released to Mango, Air Chefs and SAA Technical. I think our comrades are just tired of this SAA thing being on the agenda. <laughs> Look, if, I mean, the decision is simple, right? If you don't want this thing to continue, put it in business rescue. Liquidate yeah. it, right? But if you want it to continue, release the money that you've already... I, I, I don't know. Okay, and I, I hope they heard you say that, right? I, I don't know. Because <laughs> we make it so complicated. I mean, no longer, there's, mm. effectively, those are the two options. Yeah. DPE can sit in meetings until the cows come home. I mean, there's a Section 189 process at SAA Technical, which was announced this afternoon now. as well, yeah. right? Uh, which also complicates this, the entire mix. But effectively, the issue here is about does Parliament, in particular maybe the ANC caucus in Parliament, do they agree? Um, and, and we're hoping, I mean, over the next day or so, we can speak to the Portfolio Committee Chair there, uh, Kaya Makak, uh, for the Portfolio Committee on Public Enterprises. Because, I mean... If it's quite clear now the delay and the grounding of Mango is going to be int- intimately linked to how quickly you can release the money, surely this process should already have been going on already. Yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to SAA, I think you've, you know, you, you know my sentiments about what's happening at SAA. I think I'd like to hear just some clear, clear, decisive opinions about what is happening mm. and the roles that are are playing out there at SAA because I don't think any of us know exactly what is happening there within there and the reason why SAA is still getting all the support. And I think there's also just, you know, a bit of, you know, you know, factionalism within that and decision making and people supporting things where they know that it doesn't make sense. And immediately when, you know, you're just being, you know, you know, forced to, you know, support something with that, that makes no sense. I think you tend to drag your feet on all these matters as well and mm. don't prioritize them. So I imagine, you know, that would be the state. Because also, I think we're getting SAA fatigue because also it's different. An SAA issue and an ESCOM issue are very different. No, ESCOM true, has true. to be solved. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it has to be. It's it's not even, it's, it's not, there's no question about it. So, you know, as we try to grapple with more serious ESCOM issues, there, I imagine that, you start getting tired of dealing mm. with the same old problem, which is not really going to but, yeah, make our country a bigger place. But no, I guess the reality of it at the end of the day is that you, you can't avoid making a choice. Mm. You, it's, it's not one of those things where you can just look away and hope, you know, at some point somebody else is going to solve it for you. You have to draw a line in the sand and say, look, I mean, for instance, on, on the SAA business rescue process, a lot of question marks. Why did, you know, SAA... Uh, SAA subsidiaries not going to business rescue when the parent company went into business rescue at the end of 2019. And maybe if we shift away from that particular question, 
when when the DPE talks about a new SAA, this new sort of slightly leaner SAA, nobody said a word about the implications on the subsidiaries. So, so do those now become standalone companies outside of the umbrella of SAA? Do they continue to exist? Do they cease to exist? They're confused, I think we, man. Sorry. I think we <laughs> seriously need to develop an SAA commission of inquiry. I'm confused, guys. Yo, uh-uh, uh-uh. You know, I mean, none of these things, like you, we have, you know, everyone has the exact same questions about what's going on there. There's just no clarity at all about what's happening there. Yeah, and it's you. It's your money. It's my money. My little song. Mm, yeah? Okay, elections are coming close and fast. Yeah, yeah. Hey, my sins and Gwenzaga, guys. Mm. Pepco, what do you make of that? Uh, you know, I, I never thought I'd find a company this year that would have blown the lights out so much in retail, uh, more than Mr. Price. But it seems Pepco and their electronics offering, uh, the likes of Incredible Connection and others, Blowing the lights out because many of us have been going out, getting new gadgets, getting new devices uh, as people spend more and more time working from home. Mm. I think, you know, the biggest thing would be the still the Pepe and Ackerman's brand because they're the biggest contributors to revenue, revenue and mm. profits. So, I mean, the electronic side has been a strong performer, but... It's really the, the the clothing, you know, the kiddies' clothing. I like. Because yeah, because I mean, the electronics like, is a much, much smaller proportion, I guess. So exactly. The revenue, yeah. Yeah, and I think you know a lot of down trading um, has happened, and I think this is what you know it's typically expected that in a recessionary environment, you know, there's a lot of down trading. Value, you know, retailers will will do well, and um, both in terms of clothing and you know lower price in terms of groceries as well. They do end up being beneficiaries, and what we did see is that to some extent as well, there was you know you know over the last couple of reporting periods a lot of pent up demand per se, um, and that always comes through. And in some instances, there's even you know no you know consumers weren't spending as much, and then when they went to spend, they went out all out. And also there's a lot of like discounting that was going on. You know people forget that there's so much discounting that was happening over this last year because these retailers were building up stock that they need to get rid of. So it was probably quite a disruptive time as well, um, you know. But they've done well, and the story of electronics being gaining has also been huge as people, you know, stock up for Mm. staying at home stuff. And so, you know, diversity in operations is quite nice. And it was good for them that, you know, electronics is is, is a little more discretionary um, spend. So it's not as defensive. But typically, you know, your your value value retail is more defensive, and especially in our country, um, although there is some bias to fast fashion at times with the re- with the you know for your especially with your your new international that it came in. Mm. But you know, they have done well in this environment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of good news coming through for them. We also heard, uh, you know, Steinhoff talking up the uh, Pepco offering in Poland, uh, which uh, also blew the lights out there. Uh, so uh, yeah, at least some good news uh, for. Uh, this uh, company, which was, um, I guess, erstwhile in the Steinhoff stable, and uh, probably good to hear some of the good news coming through there. Uh, but uh, no, longer the other story I'm, I'm quite interested in us taking a look at um, is the story of South 32. Now, South 32 
um, you know, acquired by Sariti there from uh, a BHP Billiton, a major supply of coal to ESCOM's Duba power station. Uh, and it seems, you know, they're saying the deal is contingent on a renegotiation of the price because they feel that that's a loss-making contract anyway and um, probably not the right environment to maneuver where, uh, with where coal prices are globally as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, the coal prices have actually done, they've been so, they've been great. They've been done very well this year. Mm. And if they're doing a little more, way more exporting, then it would be a very different outcome. But if you're stuck, if you're stuck in a supply agreement and you're looking at that export mm. coal price and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's really, it is a very tough situation to be in because it's, they're basically stuck with, you know, sort of loss making when the sky is blue outside. So, you know, I think it should be fair. Maybe they should make some sort of, they must get to some sort of terms of agreement. I think what is good both for the company because, you know, we want it to be sustainable and to survive. You know, we've got too many stories of things falling apart. So I think, you know, maybe some agreements can, you know, can come through um, and try to get, you know, get take advantage of that, of that, that the export price and, and increased production and maybe even maybe through ESCOM, you know, have some sort of third party agreement or something with someone else, you know, I don't know. But I think it's very important that they come to the resolution about this where they can make it easier for the, com- the company to be going concern. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. But you see, here's the other question. Um, the procurement process, right? Because one of the issues National Treasury has raised, you know, is that, you know, you don't just go and give South 32 a price renegotiation on their contract, um, as you've done historically with all the evergreen contracts where you just go ahead, you give people open-ended mm. contracts. You have to open this up to competitive tender where people can bid in an open process. Um, yeah. And I'm sitting here saying, are we assuming certain things here? Are we assuming that there's this massive market uh, that has some of the locational advantages that a South 32 would have for the Duba power station? Or are we just trying to comply for compliance sake? Yeah, I think, you know, it is a compliance issue. But, you know, the weird thing is this, right, is that one of the key problems that was found at ESCOM is that you can't have too many different coal suppliers because then the qualities of the coal are very different, the grades, yeah, which makes yeah. it very hard for them to use it and then in the... You know, in the process. So, on one hand, we want to be compliant, but I hope we don't move to the point where we, you know, going back to those old problems. So, I think in terms of the market, you know, we need to also really assess whether the market is 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 you know well resourced to provide the kind of coal that is required to meet up with the demand. Mm. So, we need to be realistic about in you know, the position we're in. We're not saying there shouldn't be any compliance. We must make sure that in the day, ESCOM gets the quality coal that is required to keep the country running. Hmm. And within that compliance, um, you know, you must take those things seriously into account. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just feel like in this particular one, there's a market structure issue. And we know the history of some of these cost plus mines and how ESCOM has effectively invested upstream in securing its supply. Um, and to now assume, I guess, for compliance sake, that, you know, you can go through a process and f- find competitive bidders, uh, which, yes, is right. We must comply. It's important to have a competitive process. 
but we know the nature of the beast that is our energy supply in the country does not lend itself to anything outside of what it is, which is a monopoly. Um, and, and what I don't understand is, I mean, look, let, let's maybe, I don't know if you're a betting person. I, I certainly am not. But I can assure you, even if this were put to competitive bidding process, it would still be South 32 that comes out of it or that particular asset that feeds the Duba mine currently. Mm. No, most likely it will <laughs> because, I mean, they, they've got the scale advantage in it. So, you know, it, they're sort of shooting themselves in the foot, so to speak. Mm, if they go so, elsewhere, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what I've been seeing, all the miners are, you know, going to cut their losses from coal assets. Everyone's just like, okay, no, I'm out. So I think, you know, if you do have a steady supply here with people who could potentially take uh, the price, make an effort where it's still, com- you know, compliant because, if, you know, you don't know, you know, some people will just want to just go and just completely just get out of South Africa and these supplies and export completely to the market mm. where, you know, it's already pumping in terms of prices. So especially at these at these level of prices, you know, your 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 ability to attract bids is is, is very hard yeah. considering where coal prices are as high as they yeah. are. It's gone up, shot up quite massively. So, you know, that window of opportunity is shrinking and shrinking as they, you know, drag their feet through this. No longer. I don't know, man. I don't know how to make sense of some of these things. We're going we're gonna to have to leave it there for this evening. As always, a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Well, I'm Tom Benny, market analyst, uh, helping us there to make sense of the latest in the world of money and power. We're going to take a brief break now. Uh, we continue with part two of our conversation into housing. Uh, within the context, of course, of uh, reflections on Freedom Month and, uh, yeah, some of the uh, challenges that constrain the attainment and uh, the meaningful material expression of freedom for many South Africans.